1: Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman. And unless you're old enough to remember when gasoline was 90 cents a gallon, you just witnessed your first Raiders win over the Packers. Yes, the Las Vegas Raiders outlast the Green Bay Packers on Monday Night Football by a score of 17 to 13, something that has not happened since 1987, 36 years ago. Now, it's not as crazy in reality as it sounds on the surface. Raiders are an AFC team. Green Bay is an NFC team. They only play every four years. And maybe you've heard the Packers have had MVP caliber quarterback play for most of the last 36 years. So I get why this stat exists, but it is still wild to think that unless you remember the Reagan administration, this is the first time you've seen the Raiders get a win over Green Bay, absolutely crazy, crazy finish in this game. Let's let's take it to the very end. That's what matters. Jordan Love heaves it to the end zone at the end of regulation, last minute of this game. Picked off for the third time by the Raiders. Amik Robertson, the cornerback, five nine skies up over Christian Watson to haul in the end zone interception. I can hear Green Bay fans arguing that maybe there should have been a pass interference call maybe, but I think it's okay to let these guys play in a situation like this. We know pass interference and holding calls favor the offense. So, so much. I'm fine with the defense getting a win. I really, I thought this was going to have a completely different ending because if you go back and watch the end of this, the way Jordan love evaded pressure got out of the pocket and starts drifting forward and immediately uncorked it downfield for Christian Watson. I thought he was going to be wide ass open. I thought he was going to be standing all alone in the end zone for the game winning score, but the coverage was phenomenal. Raiders get out of this thing with a defensive win. They pick off Jordan love three times in this game. We'll get back to that, but I want to make sure I don't completely bury the lead because in no way should the Las Vegas Raiders winning this game bail out another insane situational decision from Raiders coach, Josh McDaniels. This is the second time he's done it this season. We've only played five of these things. So almost half the time we're seeing, in my opinion, insanity from the head coach of the Raiders inside the final two, two and a half minutes of these games. So let's, let's take you to the end of this thing. Raiders are up 1713. They're at the green Bay 34 yard line at the two minute warning. Raiders have been driving. They've been running the ball forcing Green Bay to call timeout fourth and two at the 34 yard line. Josh McDaniels elects to kick a 52 yard field goal to extend the lead to 20 to 13. So not even a lead that puts the game away, simply a lead that makes it so you can't give up the lead. You probably go to overtime, a 52 yard field goal. Keep in mind, Earlier in this game, just before halftime, Daniel Carlson, a wonderful kicker, it's no knock against him, but he'd had a kick blocked from the same distance, blocked from 53, this was from 52. Josh McDaniels elects to kick this, knowing that if he gets two yards, the Packers are basically, they're down to their last time out, they're in a hopeless situation, you end the game if you get two yards even if Daniel Carlson makes the field goal, it's 20 to 13 green Bay gets the ball with a little less than two minutes to play and a timeout. That's an eternity. It's at least a shot for green Bay to go down the field and tie the game. Maybe even elect to go for two and win it. That would be really crazy, but it obviously doesn't get to that point, but I don't, I don't understand the thought process here. It's an incredibly high degree of difficulty kick, even for a great kicker like Carlson. And you still have to then turn around and play defense and play well enough to present prevent a game tying score. Or maybe you know that the Raiders have the reigning rushing champion, Josh Jacobs in the backfield and could hand him the ball for two yards or really call any play you want two yards away. I know it's easier said than done. I know it's the NFL, but Josh Jacobs did have 69 yards in this game. He had a touchdown touchdown punched it in on the goal line, made it look easy earlier in the game. I'm taking my chances. I'm taking my chances that we get the two yards and we say this game's over. We're ending the game with the ball. We are not getting Jordan love an opportunity. I think it's a crazy decision by Josh McDaniels. I think it's worse than his decision to kick a field goal down eight against Pittsburgh just a couple weeks ago, both incredibly strange. And would be a lot more understandable if the Raiders were this juggernaut team, a heavy favorite in every game that they play. We've got the better talent. We've got the better quarterback. Let's just play this conservative and our talent will win out in the end. That's not what the Raiders are. They improved a two and three with this win. I don't get why you play conservative in games where you're either an underdog or, or it's basically a toss up. Go win the game, man. Don't count on a meek Robertson skying over Christian Watson. It worked. It worked. And Hey, you win, you keep the season alive. You go to two and three. It's going to be a long flight back to green Bay for Jordan love three interceptions on the night. I can't let go of Josh McDaniels making that decision, even if it didn't bite him in this circumstances, but it is a big win for the Las Vegas Raiders in front of basically a, a green Bay crowd. Good for them. Jordan love, there's so much to like it's been the story through five weeks, really like watching him play football. It's very entertaining works well with what Matt LaFleur likes to do. Green Bay head coach, but three interceptions on the night, two of them were forced throws that I would say he didn't have to make. You don't have to go for the end zone at the end, even though it's third down, you can either live to fight another down or maybe survey different part of the field. Like I said, it looked like he had his eyes on Christian Watson from the very beginning. Two forced interceptions, one that gets batted up and lands in a Raiders arms. And then the third one, which was actually the first one, just didn't even see the defender in front of him. Just completely missed the guy in coverage. Lot to like, not surprisingly, Jordan Love looks like a guy making his first starts in the NFL. This is to be expected. Big win for the Las Vegas Raiders elsewhere. I'm well aware how much time we spent on the Cowboys loss of San Francisco yesterday, but you'll forgive me if I feel like this is a topic worth spending some time on unpacking. It's what we do in a podcast, right? We unpack things. We get to the bottom of it. Dallas Cowboys lose 42 to 10 out in San Francisco on Sunday night. And I think anybody can tell you it's it's not that they lost to the best team in the league. It's that it was one of the biggest no-shows in recent Cowboys memory. Less than 200 yards of offense, 10 points, the vaunted defense getting gashed for 400-plus yards. Yeah, it's as bad as it looked. It might have been worse than it looked. And so I, I think it's a game that is deserving of some harsh criticism, is deserving of the conversation that's taking place, which is basically an existential crisis between the Cowboys organization and their fan base. And if you don't believe me, you can see it all over every form of media in the world on Monday in reaction to this game. We're going to go through some of it. We're going to try to parse through what is immediate overreaction and angst And what is a very valid concern for a team that had so much hype, that had so much promise that fell so flat. So let's start it out. We're still going to call it Twitter. That's, I mean, I'm I'm too far into it at this point. It's been like 15 years. The tweets were flying, as you might expect. I want to start this off, not from any angry fan or analyst or journalist, but from Micah Parsons himself, the... The, the best player on this team, the, the defensive player of the year candidate, uh, the guy who, who sets the tone on the defensive side of the ball, Cowboys defense, completely no showing. And it's Micah Parsons who, after the game said, I don't think they, the 49ers are at a higher level than us. I think we're the same caliber playoff team, same talent, same standards. I just feel like we need to reconsider and fix some things. The score doesn't show what happened out there. Now, Over the course of this, we're going to get to some overreactions and some things I think people are going too far with. Micah, I don't think you're going far enough, man. I think the score shows exactly what happens with this game. And I think that's there needs to be a reckoning of some sort. Like the the Cowboys season is not over, but to play that game. And act like you're a, a, a couple catches or some tweaks or some alignments away from coming out with a different result. I just don't know that it's reality. Uh, again, 42 points. The Niners scored more points in week five than the Cowboys' previous four opponents had combined. It's just not what we're used to seeing. And at the risk of sounding reactionary, which that's the point here, but. This is a troubling trend for the Dallas defense. I know that not every opponent is going to be San Francisco. But since Trayvon Diggs got hurt after the second game of the season, Cowboys are allowing 358 yards per game. That's including a dominant performance against a woeful New, New England team based on the last three games of evidence. And that includes, remember, an Arizona team that's one and four. So not a juggernaut by any means be good enough for 23rd in the league to this point. Dominant start in the first two weeks. It hasn't been pretty for going on three weeks now. And that's even with a really nice performance against New England sandwich in there. The Cowboys had 10 sacks and seven takeaways in their first two games. They have five sacks in their first three games. I don't think you can attribute all of it to losing Trayvon Diggs. But for all the talk of how dominant the Dallas defense was, including from yours truly, I include myself in this. It might not be the worst unit in the league, but some serious soul searching needs to happen on that side of the ball because the unit we've seen for the better part of a month now, particularly in two losses, is a far cry from what we were expecting to see all season long. I don't think it's enough of a reaction for Micah Parsons to say, that the score doesn't really show what happened out there. Cause, cause I, I, I think it absolutely does. Now let's get into some other takes that are flying around right now. Mike McCarthy is going to catch hell for this. And I get it because there's, there's one big variable, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, one big variable for the Cowboys Wasn't there last year. Is there this year? And that's Mike McCarthy taking over play calling duties. It was a topic of conversation all off season. And it went to the back burner with the way the Cowboys were winning dominantly. Even in, in the game against Arizona, you get down to the red zone five times. You simply don't punch it in the Cowboys offense had been good enough getting to the red zone more than anybody in the league, scoring 25 points a game without the defense's help. But in a situation like this, where the offense gains nine yards on its first 10 plays, punts on three of its first four possessions, scores 10 points, doesn't manage 200 yards of offense. It's, it's going to be called into question. I am not convinced that it is an overreaction. Now, does that mean the Cowboys offense is going to be this bad in every game that they play? No, but the trends are troubling we know Mike McCarthy is a West coast offense disciple. We know the West coast offense is all about short, timely, efficient passes using the passing game as a, as an addition to the running game. But even, even for this, it's a little much, the downfield element of the Cowboys offense is completely gone. Dak Prescott's 26 yard touchdown pass to Cavante Turpin and his 29 yard touchdown pick up with CD lamb at the start of the third quarter or just his sixth and seventh explosive plays where the ball traveled 15 or more yards in the air. If that sounded like a mouthful, I'm basically saying the Cowboys aren't completing passes downfield this season, just seven on the year. Dak, I guess to his credit tried to test San Francisco deep in this game. It absolutely didn't work the deep shot to Brandon cooks that traveled out of bounds toward the end of the first half, the incredibly questionable decision to throw deep into double coverage. That was easily picked off at that point. I think Dak was just pressing for some kind of big play, but I don't think it's realistic to expect an offense to consistently March the field, nickel and diming the ball before. And we're going to get into Dak in way greater detail, but It's not fair to ask any quarterback to do that on a week in and week out basis. Dak Prescott's been doing it really well for most of this year. The Cowboys led the league in third down conversion percentage coming into this game. But you see the problem when that is your game plan against an elite defense. Third and five, you call a crossing route that's three yards down the field. You expect a guy to break a tackle against the best linebacker core in the NFL. I don't think it's realistic to play offense consistently and be successful without some explosive element to your passing game. Maybe that's why CD lamb looked as frustrated as I've ever seen him in this game. Despondent finished this game with 49 yards, four catches couldn't establish any sort of connection with Prescott really hasn't been a, a feature of a game plan since week two against the New York jets. I, I, I mean, Brandon cooks was brought here for a reason or so I thought it's not always going to be this hard because not every defense is San Francisco, but I don't think it's realistic to play this way to have Dak Prescott with his lowest average yards per attempt of his career, less than six heading into this game. And it didn't get a hell of a lot better against San Francisco. It's about to get really interesting because in case you haven't heard the Cowboys next game is against the Los Angeles chargers and their former offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, the guy who was relieved of his duties because as good as it was statistically, the Cowboys offense wasn't doing enough. Now, I'm not going to declare a winner or a loser in this debate right now because to the Cowboys credit, a big part of the reason they moved on from Kellen Moore was a lack of success against San Francisco. Cowboys were dispatched from the postseason two years in a row by the Niners. Kellen Moore's offense averaged 15 points per game in those two losses, just 12 in the most recent one. So maybe the, the, the rational take is just however unfortunate it might be. If you like the Cowboys, the Niners own them regardless of who's calling the plays. But there's going to be a very fun flashpoint. For Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore going against each other at a crossroads in each of these teams season, a very popular criticism of Kellen's offenses when he was in Dallas is that he got a little too cute, tried to be a little too creative when maybe he didn't need to be. He looks like the same guy in LA. If you've watched the chargers at all this year, very explosive, very fun, a tendency for for trickery and outside the box thinking maybe where there doesn't need to be any, but I have a feeling. Kellen's going to have some things up of his up his sleeve for his old employer, and whatever the dialogue might be right now, if Mike McCarthy gets out called out schemed by the guy he ran out of town, then I think all reactions are on the table. Moving on to another overreaction in the Cowboys Twitter sphere in the in the Cowboys fan base, whatever you want to call it. We talked, we touched on it already, but this Dallas defense say whatever you want. It just hasn't looked the same since Trayvon Diggs got hurt. It's not just the 49ers. We talked about the Cardinals. We talked about 200 rushing yards given up to Arizona, 170 rushing yards given up to San Francisco. And the thing that I think is really interesting mentioning Micah Parsons, as good as this pass rush is, It hasn't delivered to the degree that they need it to. And I mean, it says a lot about the standard that they've set, but that is supposed to be the driving force of this team. Honestly, more so than anything that happens on offense, the Cowboys ability to get to the opposing quarterback, fluster him, force him into mistakes. That's supposed to be their calling card. They, they ran away with the week four game against new England because of that, because Mac Jones just lost his mind trying to deal with this pressure didn't come close to happening against San Francisco pro football focus credits. The Cowboys with five pressures and no sacks of Brock Purdy in true drop back situations. Like when it was obvious that Brock was going to drop back and throw, and there was no play action, no trickery going on five pressures and no sacks. Maybe you'll remember Brock Purdy threw quite a bit for almost 300 yards in this game. I actually, I went back and watched it again because I forgot. I was like, well, if this is the case, I know the Cowboys sacked him. When did it happen? It happened on a slow developing play action jet sweep where Brock Purdy was holding the ball for a while and J Ron curse, a safety got the sack. So that's what you're, that's what the Cowboys were dealing with this in in this game I'll say it for the one hundredth time. It's not always going to be San Francisco, but especially with your secondary compromised, with Leighton Vander Esch now potentially missing time, the report is that he could miss a month or more with a neck injury, the pass rush has to get home. There's there's no other option. I think there are enough issues on the back end. Cowboys safeties: Curse, Donovan Wilson, Malik Hooker, quietly. Well, not so quietly anymore, but had been quietly not having the best stretch. It's loud and clear whether you want to talk about lining up offside, whether you want to talk about unnecessary roughness penalties on third down or just not having good coverage. It is quietly an issue. Fortunately for the Cowboys, I still think this pass rush is good enough to take advantage of most protection schemes, and that's why I'm not panicking but this is the type of thing that you see in the playoffs and that's why people are so concerned. And it's only week six, moving on to the next overreaction, which maybe doesn't feel like an overreaction summing up almost 30 years of futility in two beautiful sentences. The Cowboys will probably make the playoffs and win maybe one game. I want more than that, man. It's not enough anymore. The, the repeat effect I think is what makes this so tough to swallow. 27 years of futility, 27 years since a conference title game appearance, let alone a Super Bowl. And you can't, it's it's hard to explain this away. We all know that you have bad games. We all know that teams can bounce back, but this is the team that's ended their season. This is the type of team that will be in the playoffs come January. I can think back a couple years. Cowboys lose a head scratcher to Denver. Bad, terrible. And you say, well, that was really weird, but maybe their head wasn't in the game. Maybe they just weren't as focused as they should have been. It'll all be all right. Sure enough, it wasn't all right. Last year, things are rolling. Things are looking good. In the lat, well, in the middle of the home stretch of the season, they give up a lead to Jacksonville. They go to overtime. They lose the game on a pick six looking for explanations, looking for why we'll play better, why this won't happen when it matters to lose a game with so much focus on it, with so much emphasis on it being a measuring stick and to a team that you've already seen beat you in the playoffs. I understand why anybody would feel dejected about it going any other way. I really don't think it's an overreaction and that's what I can't wait to see from the Cowboys moving forward is what can you do to make people forget that this game happened? It's a long season. I think they will win games. I think they're, they're, they're a playoff team. The Cowboys are a playoff team. Let's not get it twisted. I'd be shocked if they don't find a way into the postseason. I'd be shocked if they don't play a lot of really impressive games. But knowing that this happened where there's, there's, there's no injury excuse, there's no element of not being focused, any of that familiar tropes we use to make ourselves feel better about a loss can't lean on it here. And it's hard to get that out of your mind when you're thinking about this year going any different from any of the other 26 years. And that's, I think what leads to as much angst as we angst as we've seen. And I don't fault you for it. Cowboy fans. All right, let's wrap this up with, the biggest one, the most nuanced one, the one, the, the one that I wanted help for, and that's about Dak Prescott, this overreaction, this is clearly an overreaction. Trey Lance should be the starter in Dallas. The Dak Prescott experiment has failed. Now, what I'm not going to do on this show is dive into this type of hot take nonsense that isn't productive or interesting to me. Trey Lance has four NFL starts. The San Francisco 49ers, that's where he came from. How fitting. Had every reason to bet on, to back a guy that they sold the farm for. They gave away so much to draft. Had every reason to to lean toward him being the guy to carry them into the future and they didn't do it. To suggest that Trey Lance or even Cooper Rush could do a better job in this spot or do a better job moving forward than Dak Prescott, who I still think is one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. I think it's asinine, but it is a good jumping off point for a more detailed conversation. No better way to do that than to bring in my good friend, Fox sports, NFC East writer, Ralph Vacchiano covered the division for a long, long time. Ralph, I just said it a performance like this, I've covered Dak Prescott's entire career. And this is the first time that I'm questioning what his future looks like, whether he's the guy that gets the Cowboys over the hump. Now let's not be silly. Like I just said, I I don't think you're benching Dak Prescott miss me with the conversation about trading Dak Prescott or cutting Dak Prescott. That's not how this works, but it is an interesting conversation point. Dak's in the second to last year of his deal, We've talked about this. His cap hit next year, $60 million, which has been the talking point all offseason. Do you extend Dak to lower his cap hit, to make it easier to put talent around him? Or do you let him play out the last year of this deal on a $60 million cap hit and move on when it's over for the longest time? I thought that was a silly conversation. I thought Dak was more than good enough that you extend him, that you build around him. And and maybe he still is, but I am shaken by this game. And I'm wondering, am I crazy if for the first time, I'm wondering if in the big picture, he's the Cowboys quarterback moving forward. Well, I, I think you might be overreacting to one
0: game a little bit. Uh, the, you know, these games happen. It obviously is bad because, you know, Dak Prescott was terrible. It was as bad as I've seen him play. Uh, It's also bad because it was a big game. And right now, the whole narrative of the Cowboys is, can they win the big one? Can Dak Prescott win the big game? That's where the bar is. This isn't a team that's just looking to get to 500 or make the playoffs. They're looking to win big games, be one of the top five teams in the NFL. And there was a situation where they could have proved they belonged. And clearly they didn't. And clearly Dak Prescott did. not So I get how bad it is. Um, I think questioning his long-term future is certainly fair Uh, There's probably nothing you can do right now and maybe not even next year because you know anytime you want to get rid of a a quarterback especially you have to answer the question well what's next um it's probably not trey lance maybe maybe it is, possibly but certainly not somebody you would want to bank your uh super bowl fortunes on you don't want to necessarily grab a rookie you don't think they're going to be drafting in the top 10 where they might get, you know, one of the prizes of the draft. So you don't have a really good answer of what to do if you get rid of Dak Prescott. But I understand the sentiment because this is about winning big games. And, you know, I, I can't
1: answer the question. Can he win the big game? This was a pretty big game. And he fell right in his face. I thought your kicker to your story on foxsports.com was really perfect. Basically, the Cowboys are left with more questions than answers and once again Dak Prescott is left with something to prove. And you're right. This is just one game. Plenty of of good teams not only lose but get beaten down by this. I actually this is a crazy stat. We looked this up in the Super Bowl era 39 Super Bowl participants have lost a game by 20 plus. You've got a long history with the New York giants, the New York giants famously, at least in 2011, maybe even in 2007 as well, lost some lopsided games and rebounded. But I guess the reason why I don't think this is an overreaction is because this is the team or somebody like them that you're going to run into. You know, you kind of touched on it. This isn't just, losing in Santa Clara on a Sunday night in week five, this is looking worse than you did against the team that's beaten you in the playoffs two years in a row. There's no way around it, whether it's Philly, whether it's San Francisco, you're going to wind up back in a game like this. And of course Dak Prescott is going to be the starting quarterback for the rest of this season. And you're right, probably even next, but that that's where I'm at is to say, how many more of these do you need to see before it does change your opinion of what the long-term outlook should be.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, I would honestly think that regardless of this game, if they didn't make a real run at the Super Bowl this year, they'd have to start looking into their options and decide who's next. Just by the fact that his contract was coming up, the, the whole financial ramifications. Um, you know, the problem is this is a team. Forget the quarterback for a second. It's a team that built to win. Right now, all of the pieces for the most part are in place. They've got um you know the a defense that besides what happened last night is terrific. They've got uh you know more weapons for Dak Prescott than they've had in the past. So um you know they've they've got a veteran quarterback. They are built to win right now. I don't think that you want to again move on to a rookie quarterback, move on to somebody untested um and expect to have this same team make that Super Bowl run. So it does present a bit of an issue, but you know, I, I, I'm questioning whether Dak Prescott can win that big game or not. I, I get it. Um, I don't know how much more patient the Cowboys can be. Uh, you know, to be completely indelicate, Jerry Jones is not getting any younger. I think he wants to win very, very soon. Um, you know, it doesn't probably doesn't want to rebuild around a young quarterback, but if there's a way to slide into another quarterback and make a, a quick transition, you know, maybe he does that in the next couple of years. because. Um, he's certainly going to have to be questioning whether he's got the right guy or not. And um, you know, there's, there's no way to, to to feel comfortable that he's the right guy until he goes out and does
1: it. And you know, you, I don't know where, you, where you can find the big game that
0: Dak Prescott's won yet. It just
1: hasn't happened. If it has, I think you'd have to take it back to the early stages of his career. I can remember some, some big games, Um, in, you know, in, as a rookie, obviously 2018, they went on a really fantastic run where they won a bunch of games toward the end of the season. I would be remiss if you didn't at least mention the wild card game against Tampa. I know that that wasn't a wonderful Tampa Bay team, but to score five touchdowns on the road in the playoffs, I'll give him credit for that. But I still understand the frustration when again, this is the bully they can't get past and the results seem to be getting worse. That is the troubling part for me. I, I want to go back to what you said. Cause I, I think it's, it's really important context. The, the wrinkle in this too that I don't think enough people are talking about is Dak Prescott has a tremendous amount of leverage. Whatever you think of him as a quarterback, he's in a wonderful situation. His contract has a no trade clause, a no tag clause. So he has say over what the Cowboys can even do with him. And like we said, the cap hit balloons up to 60 million as soon as this season is over. And and Ralph, it's it's a phenomenal point and it's something I've thought about a hundred times since the game ended. Jerry Jones, more than anything, doesn't want to be irrelevant and doesn't want to be perceived as not going after a Super Bowl. But if you carry a quarterback with a $60 million cap hit that prevents you from bolstering the rest of the roster especially if we just go out on a limb and say they don't win the super bowl this year what kind of message does that send that's what's interesting to me like you can make an argument that financially extending dak is the best move for the cowboys books but it becomes a tougher and tougher sell with each moment like this and well no
0: question although
1: you know you you have to
0: sort of get over the finances of it because that'll drive you crazy thinking about oh is he worth the kind of money he's going to get is he worth an extension you're right that an extension might be the best for the team and even if you want to make a transition to another quarterback it's the best for the team because you can extend them three four years you can lower that cap hit you can keep the team together you can still go draft a quarterback and now you've got Dak prescott there for another couple of years and make the transition whenever you feel comfortable so um it you know maybe it'll it'll be a 200 million dollar extension everybody will go oh my goodness he can't win the big game how could he possibly be worth that but that might be the best thing for the team and that's something that they have to decide because keeping him at a 60 million dollar cap hit doesn't make any financial sense it also sends a pretty clear message that he's probably going to be gone at the end of the year um you know, a lot of guys are going to wonder, well, why, why does he get all that cap room? Where's mine? Why, you know, why can't CD lamb get some, why can't Micah Parsons get some? So I I can't imagine there's any scenario that they actually do that. They just have to decide what kind of extension that is and whether the extension is the beginning of the transition to somebody
1: else. Maybe that is the answer here. Maybe in a perfect world, you can sign Dak to an extension that, helps you out a little bit more. I've, I've thought of Jared Goff a few times today, just in the sense of three, four years ago, Jared Goff's contract was a hindrance, but as the market continues to grow and his deal was signed four or five years ago, that's a very workable number for the lions to work with. And if you can get Dak Prescott to agree to that, by all means, that sounds amazing. My experience leads me to believe Easier said than done. And that's why, look, we're not trying to take Dak Prescott's job away this week or even this season. That's not the point. I just think I'm I'm shocked by the fact that I am considering that the long-term future might not include him for the first time since he became the Cowboys starting quarterback.
0: Yeah, and, and I get it. I really do. And, and again, it's not that he's not a good quarterback. He, he had one terrible game. He's had much better games than that. But again, the bar is high. The bar is, are they going to compete for a Super Bowl? Can they beat the 49ers? Can they hang with the Philadelphia Eagles? And right now, the answer is no. And that's really disappointing. And it makes you want to think, well, maybe another quarterback can get it done. I will say this, though, for every quarterback, every quarterback ever really has had the tag of they can't win the big game until they actually do. You don't have to go much farther back and find a better quarterback than Peyton Manning who for you know, five or six years of his career was tagged with, well, he can't win the big one. He did have spectacular regular seasons. His numbers would be crazy. He clearly was the best quarterback in football, and they'd fizzle out in the playoffs until he finally won and got to a Super Bowl. So maybe it's still coming for Dak Prescott. Maybe this will turn out to be just one game. Um, honestly, I would be a lot more alarmed if this happens again in, what is it, three weeks when they play the Philadelphia Eagles? and They've got another test if Dak Prescott has another game like this, well then, you know, maybe there's serious problems happening here, but you know, who knows there's, there's plenty of time for him to bounce back. And, you know, th- maybe that's the only thing doing it against a team like the Eagles or, you know, somebody really tough on the schedule or, or in the NFC championship game, that's the only way to prove to people
1: that, you know, this game was an anomaly and he really can get it done. That's the perfect segue because look, if I sound like the sky is falling, I apologize, but, It was, it was that disappointing of a loss, but you're right. I mean, NFL seasons are long. It's week five. They immediately get a nationally televised game to try to get right against their old offensive coordinator. And of course it's the Cowboys. So there's big games all over the schedule. They still have the Eagles twice. They've got the bills. They've got the dolphins. They've got the lions. There's every opportunity in the world to write this ship. But what I think is interesting, and I've said this a couple of times now Ralph, you cover a lot of big market teams. Is it as unique as I think it is? I'm sure there's a few teams like this, but I think the Cowboys are so interesting in that they are eternally competing with the ghost of the 90s in the sense that, cool, you beat the Chargers. Cool, you get one on Jalen Hurts. You beat the Eagles. What does it mean for January? And I just wonder, what will it take to wash the taste of this game out of the mouths of, of the fan base. I'm not, I'm not worried about the team. They've got a job to do. They'll move on just fine if I had to guess, but this just feels like a loss that's going to linger over the Cowboys fan base. And I'm just not sure what type of statement they can make to, to get people to move on from it.
0: You know, I I think they are in a unique spot because people, I mean, they were dominant for so many years and, People expect them to be in the mix year after year. Uh, You know, I think the Giants in the mid 2000s, there was pressure and a lot of comparisons to the 1980s, but there were a lot of lean years in there too that the Cowboys don't often experience. And you know, the Giants now have gone a decade of of just absolutely misery. So you know, people are thinking, well, can we get back to 500? Let alone, you know, compete against the ghosts of the past. But the Cowboys, they're they're a different animal. Some of it is the America's team stuff. Some of it is you know the fact that they have done a good job of not having those long lulls. Uh, you know they are always competing for the playoffs. They get to the playoffs more often than not, and that just raises the expectations. And when you've had so as many championships as they've had, as many runs to the Super Bowl as they have, people have long memories and and want it to happen again. And when they get close, they want it to happen again. So yeah, I can certainly understand that kind of pressure um, and how it's a little bit unique and. Uh, you know, I think people eventually need to get over it. But I understand the fans don't or fans won't, uh, you know, especially if they lived in those years. They they want success. They want. I mean, that's the bottom line. Forget the ghosts. They want a championship. And the Cowboys, I think we'd agree, over the last few years had a team that at least should have competed for one. And they've had them in the past, not not too long ago. Teams that looked like they could have made a run,
1: but they keep disappointing in the end. and And that frustrates everybody. I think that's, that's some useful perspective. It's funny to think at the end of the day, there's more teams in the NFL that would trade places with the Cowboys than not back to back 12 and five seasons. They have a winning record this year, despite what happened on Sunday. And there can't be more than maybe there's 10 teams in the league that wouldn't trade their quarterback for Dak Prescott. Maybe it's 12 we're quibbling. The point is the majority of the league would love to have this guy running their offense, but it's the Dallas Cowboys. It's 27 years and counting and every speed bump like this just makes things seem more and more futile. It's good perspective to remember that these are good problems to have compared to a lot of franchises in the NFL, but I know Cowboy fans and I just have a feeling that's not going to make a whole lot of people feel much better.
0: No, I'm sure it won't. Uh, And and you're probably right that you know most. I I know being up here in New York right now, the Giants would love to have the problem of a quarterback having one bad game. It just seems so quaint that everybody's that upset about it there. But you know, again, it's it's about what the expectations are. The Philadelphia Eagles, if they don't make the Super Bowl, everybody will think of this season as a disappointment because they were there last year because they are built to win it. So the Cowboys, good for the fans, good for the team. They are built to be a Super Bowl contender. They should be. They should have been way better than they were against the 49ers. And I think they know it and everybody knows it. So um, it just happens to be where the bar is for them right now. But it's still a problem because, uh, you know, if you have a team that's supposed to compete for a championship, those opportunities in theory don't come around often. So you need to make the run while you can. And with a team that's as talented as they are to go out and do what they did against the 49ers, if that is an omen of what's to come against the Eagles and in the playoffs. Yeah. They're just headed for a disappointment. that's going to be hard for anybody to get over.
1: Well, fortunately for Dak and the Cowboys, they, like we said, they have so many opportunities to show us that this isn't who they are starts next week with the chargers two weeks after that it's the Eagles and on and on and on. And Ralph vacciano will be there to help us through every bit of it. I appreciate the time so much. My friend. Thank you.
0: Anytime, Dave,
1: anytime. All right. Let's wrap this thing up. It's Tuesday. Everybody's done playing. You know what that means. We're on to week six. It's time for the power rankings. All the games for week five are over. So let's see where everybody stands in the league hierarchy. There is the beautiful big board. If you are watching us, if you want to go find my full power rankings, as always, they'll be on foxsports.com. You can read my justification for everything. You can tell me why I hate your team or why I don't hate your team enough. I don't know. But let's do it. Let's highlight the big movers, the risers and the fallers starting at the bottom all the way down at number 30 this week. It's the New England Patriots. I talked about this after the sun after Sunday in the recap. I don't want to dive too far into it, but you get blown out at home by Dallas, it's one thing. Patriots getting shut out by 34 points by the New Orleans Saints. This I think I mean this this is A new low. This is a low that a huge chunk of the Patriots fan base doesn't remember. Unless you're a true old head, you don't remember a time when the Patriots stunk out loud the way they have the last two weeks, all the way down at number 30 outscored 72 to three. It's wild to say about the team that has dominated for most of my life, but it is well earned jumping up the board a little bit. Washington benefits from playing a Thursday game. Cowboys get humiliated. Plenty of other upsets around the league, but I didn't forget about you commanders. I've got you falling to number 22, a huge opportunity to make a statement, six point favorites against the Chicago bears. And they murdered you. Just, I mean, Justin Fields went off. Not a, not a, not a memorable performance. Sam Howell was fun, but the Washington defense supposed to be a strength of this team. Absolutely had no answer for DJ Moore. had no answer for Justin Fields, 300 yard passing performance. I'm going to bring this up a lot. Everybody in Washington is auditioning for new ownership. Not a great statement to make at home as a six point favorite against the bears, not loving it. Cincinnati Bengals, I'm moving you right to the midpoint of the league. I've been jumping the Bengals up and down because the talent is undeniable. The results haven't spoken to it, at least not yet, but beating up on Arizona is a step in the right direction. It's the first time in five weeks. The Bengals have looked like the Bengals. We know you'll notice I've got them at 16. So I I don't have them in the playoff range just yet. I got to see a little bit more. But, man, I'm encouraged. Man, I'm I'm happy to see Joey B get back to his old ways. Hopefully, it's the first of many fun performances. But, yeah, I've got them. I've got the Bengals just hanging out in the cut right outside playoff range until we get some more information. Up at number eight, big, big win for the Jags. In the recap show, I talked more about why I was worried about the Bills. But a big, big win for Jacksonville – team that I picked to be the AFC number one seed, (laughs) not ready to brag about that yet, but I sure am glad to see them get a big win. Look like a team that's capable of going punch for punch for with AFC heavyweights offense, finally starting to click. Hopefully it carries over when they get back from London, but I'm liking what I'm seeing Jags. All right. And let's wrap this up with the tip top of the league. It doesn't always work out this way. I've had the Eagles lurking for a little while because the results haven't always added up, but there's two undefeated teams left after five weeks. Who else could be one and two? Obviously the Niners get number one. Dominant in every single game. Haven't broken a sweat to this point in the season. Destroyed the Dallas Cowboys. If I'm sorry to Niners fans if you feel like I'm not giving you enough credit. Focusing too much on the Cowboys. Because it was a thorough dismantling. Brock Purdy. Such an incredible story. Even as much as we've talked about it it's still crazy to think about just how good he's been and where he's come from. The talent speaks for itself. The coaching speaks for itself. Eagles. If you've been resenting me for not bumping them up into the top two, you can get over it. Now they, the, the sheer number of ways they're finding to win, even if it's not always dominate, can't say anything against it. Niners Eagles, number one and number two for all the hype on the AFC, the NFC, ruling the roost right now. Top two teams in the league coming out of the conference that everybody was down on. We'll see how they hold on to it, but that wraps up week five. We're on to week six. We will be back with so much more. All the interviews you've gotten to appreciate week six preview, plenty of good matchups. Keep it here. Find us on YouTube. Find us on Spotify, on Apple podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. I appreciate it so much. Y'all I'll catch you next time.